This is Paul Pactor, CEO of Long Island Cares and the Harry Chapin Food Bank, and welcome back to another episode of our podcast, Feed the Need. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the program. You can subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts uh, from. So today, I'm very happy to welcome to the program Dr. Jessica Rosati, who is the Chief Program Officer for Long Island Cares. And Dr. Rosati oversees all of our direct service programs, of which we have nearly two dozen of them. Jessica, welcome to the program. It's really good to see you. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you, audience. A pleasure to have you all in the studio. good group. So Jess, let's talk first about the summer because uh, summer is gone and we've had a pretty busy season with our summer feeding program and making sure that our mobile units are out there feeding those in need. So let's talk first about uh, the kids in summer feeding. Where did we feed them? How many kids? Uh, and what we provide to everybody? So Summer Food Service Program is a program operated by New York State Department of Education. So Long Island Cares is the sponsor organization that provides emergency meals to children when school's not in session. Mm -hmm. This summer was a great summer. We were a little nervous coming back because it's only an eight-week program. Um, and this was the first year that the state has reverted to pre-COVID regulations. Mm. What does that mean, pre-COVID regulations? What that means is the whole program really gears towards not only providing children emergency nutritious food, but that they do so in a congregate way where children can convene around a Mm -hmm. table and engage with one another and have a good old time while getting a nice nutritious meal. Um, So we were a little nervous in coming back from that because post-COVID, we were able to push out a whole lot more food to a bunch of kids that needed it. Mm -hmm. And we were really hoping that the state would get on board in providing that waiver again so we can increase our our capacity to distribute. That did happen. So uh, mid-July, we got word that all of our sites that were approved to do, you know, sit down and eat and serve can now go full waiver and just distribute meals, Mm -hmm. which means if the child wants to sit and eat and convene with his buddies, he can do so. But if he doesn't have the time to and mom and dad really have to go, they can take that meal with them. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. So where were we providing uh, summer meals uh, this season to? What organizations did we work with and how many kids are involved? Oh, my goodness. It's thousands of children that we've been able to provide meals to for the past eight weeks, Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal for us. Um, We worked in conjunction with not only our member agency network, so some of our large partners like Lighthouse Mission. Mm -hmm. We were together with them on all of their mass distributions throughout the summer, which was great because we had a great opportunity of engaging the people that they serve and providing a consistent support with them throughout the summer months Mm -hmm. of making sure that while they were online getting food for their families, their children were safely eating breakfast or lunch and hanging out with our staff and volunteers. So that was a very big program that we did with them. We did thousands of meals through them. Um, And then we worked with other partners like EOC of Nassau, Mm -hmm. a lot of day camps um, that we got in connection through our member agency network. Um, We actually developed a program out in out east with Southampton. Mm-hmm. So a lot of really, really good efforts this summer. The program really turned out much better than we 
we anticipated. But I think that was really largely due to New York State recognizing that we can do more by loosening restrictions mm -hmm. a little bit more sure. and making it more inclusive. So this way, regardless of whatever situation the families were having at that moment in time, mm -hmm. it didn't affect their ability to get emergency food. Right. The other thing that, you know, we we do all year long, not just the summer, is all the mobile outreach and the home delivery of groceries and other support services. And we have several of those programs. And one of the things I want, I think what I'd like to start with, actually, because I'm not sure our listeners are, uh, excuse the pun, tuned in to what Long Island Cares actually does. But let's talk about Hope for the Homeless and the number of homeless people that we deliver ready-to-eat food, supplements, uh, clothing if we have it, new clothing. Uh, we're seeing over 800 pe homeless people a month. And I don't think people understand what homelessness is like on Long Island, you know, where, where the homeless people are. And I know that we focus in uh, on the street homeless. Last night I was driving home from Garden City and I'm about to get on to the... Uh, Southern State Parkway at exit 17, and there's a young gentleman, maybe he was in his mid-30s, standing at the exit holding a cardboard sign that says, please give me food. Doesn't that break your heart? It's incredible that, that you see this, not that you see it on Long Island, but you're seeing it in the parkways. I've seen it on Old Country Road. And, you know, a lot of people on Long Island would like nothing better than to uh, think that the homeless are invisible. And yet we're serving over 800 homeless people every month. So let's let's talk about where they are, what we're doing, what their needs are. And from your perspective, really, what does government have to do to help us out with this issue? That's all really great questions. We started Hope for the Homeless back in 2011. And when we wrote the program, we knew that we had an existing emergency shelter network on Long Island. We know that homeless, homelessness and just poverty in general is a tr tremendous issue on Long Island. So for a suburban landscape, we have very real urban issues. Mm -hmm. And homelessness is is one that we are not, you know, um, subject of not having. So when we wrote the program, we really wanted to focus on the street homeless, the people that are in shelters, mm -hmm. the people that are living in homeless enclaves and under train trestles and, you know, bridges and in the woods and things like that. And the program for the past decade and beyond has grown to serving over 800 people a month. And we do that between Nassau and Suffolk counties. The van goes out at least four days a week to mm -hmm. certain targeted communities where we know that the homeless congregate right. and provide emergency ready-to-eat foods and other supplemental supplies. We've given out underwear, socks, T-shirts, jackets, you know, gloves, hats, really whatever our population can identify as a mm -hmm. need, we try to acquire. And what we've been able to do throughout our tenure in providing the program is really develop a rapport, a really healthy, nurturing rapport mm -hmm. with the culture, because there's a culture of our homeless population. And it really takes a while to get get into that culture and and identified as a help. Because for, for a homeless person, not everyone who's homeless wants to move into a shelter. Not everyone who's homeless wants help from the Department of Social Services. But as you said, one of the most important things that we have to overcome in working with homeless individuals and families is the whole issue of trust. 
you know, they just don't trust, quote unquote, the system. Right. But for some reason, you and your staff have broken through that barrier. Uh, and there are over 800 people who do trust Long Island Cares, who look forward to our staff coming uh, to the Enclave. And we already know, as you said, people are living under the boardwalks in Long Beach. They're living in a parking lot in Eisenhower Park. They're living, you know, uh, in the back of a Home Depot or, or a, a Lowe's store. But, uh, you know, 800 people a month is a lot of people. And that includes children as well, right? Absolutely. It does, sadly. You know, it, and unfortunately, I feel that number is going to rise. Mm -hmm. You know, during COVID, there were a lot of um, things put in place where, you know, to, to redu reduce people being turned to the streets, right? Mm -hmm. So right. if you um, could not pay your rent, you weren't, you know, kicked out, mm -hmm. evicted, you know. So all of those processes kind of ceased during COVID to ensure right. that people could stay in place safely and get through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. All of those, you know, things have now changed. So mm -hmm. now we're seeing an influx of people coming to DSS for emergency placement, more people looking for sustainable housing. And, you know, l let's be super clear. Long Island has housing available. There is, you know, it's attainable right. for, for someone in need to acquire housing, mm -hmm. but it's not affordable. And that's the issue that we have and that we'll continue to have until that's addressed. We, we are still building new apartments uh, here on Long Island that are renting for $2,500 a month for a one bedroom. And, you know, there are families that are making, you know, $60,000, $70,000 that really can't afford those kind of rents. Right. Uh, but, you know, government has a responsibility to help us in terms of the homeless population. And I think we do need uh, more affordable housing, clearly. And it's going to be a hard sell in most of the neighborhoods who don't want group homes or supported Absolutely. apartments. And so then the question becomes, are we going to start to build housing programs in industrial parks, which is what's being done right now? Uh, in the Hop Hog Innovation Park through uh, one of the developers. But, you know, short of government coming in and saying, look, we want to provide incentives for people, uh, you know, even a Section 8 certificate, it's mm -hmm. wonderful to have one, but most homeowners, most landlords uh, don't want to accept those kind of payments, even though they're guaranteed payments. You don't have to right. go chase a and that, tenant for their rent. That is a key word. And if... It, and something that listeners should really tune into. It's guaranteed funding. Right. You're getting paid. Mm -hmm. So if you have the ability to open up your home or your apartments and make them available to people who have these these certificates mm -hmm. and are affiliated with these programs, they come with a host of other support systems. You know, Long Island believes in a housing first model. We're going to place you in housing first, make sure that your housing needs are met, and then we're going to provide those wraparound services. Right. So there's great opportunity there, I think, for just our residents of Long Island to really consider that and mm -hmm. working with really reputable organizations like ourselves and our, our allied organization mm -hmm. partners in getting people into sustainable, really good home situations and hope mm -hmm. for the homeless aims to do that we want to build that rapport so we can make those referrals and bridge those gaps it's it's, you know, it's just such an important program that we provide I, I want to go back for a second to the issue of children mm -hmm. the other program that is out all summer long and all winter long and in fall and in the spring is our children's mobile breakfast food truck 
And, you know, you're providing meals for over a thousand kids a month in mm -hmm. various communities, working with our member agencies. Let's talk about the food truck, where it goes, what it provides to the children and their families. And how would somebody who was in need of those type of services access it? So the Breakfast Mobile Food Truck is a wonderful program. And we really wrote the program to provide emergency grab and grow nutritious breakfasts mm -hmm. when school's not in session. So just about every weekend, uh, the truck is out partnering with our, our member agency network. So what we try to do is pilot the site in a certain community to see how effective it is. And then if it is, then we sustain that with a monthly visit. Mm -hmm. So monthly, we're in Wyandanche, we're at the Resource Center. Monthly, we're in Elmont, Elmont right across from the racetrack. Um, we're at Help Suffolk, which is a huge sheltered program. And a lot of the multifamily shelters in Suffolk we go to on a monthly mm -hmm. basis as well. So we're always looking for opportunities to partner with community members and programs that have a basis of children in need. And really the truck pulls up on site. It's a beautiful window that pops mm -hmm. up and kids are getting fed and hanging out and it's a good time. And the children come to the food truck with their families, yep. their, their parents are there with them. And it's not just providing food to the child in need, it's really supporting the families. Absolutely. Which is also what you've been doing uh, with our mobile school pantry. And now that school is open, yep. uh, I'm sure that the demand for food assistance for children in need uh, is high because we know that we're seeing over 60% increase in the number of people visiting our satellite locations due to inflation. So what do you expect to accomplish this coming school year with our mobile school pantry? Across the board, I think we're going to see about a 5% increase in the people mm -hmm. served. Um, the school pantries, you know, first and foremost, there are 127 school districts on Long Island. That's really not the norm when you look at <laughs> the nation. And, and how a lot that's a lot of schools, a lot of school districts. And within these districts, you know, there are, are certain districts that have more need than others. Um, we are going into our eighth year of working with the Brentwood Union Free School District. Mm -hmm. That's the largest district on Long Island. They have a little over 21,000 students. Um, and we'll also be going back to Riverhead Central School District, which has a smaller population, about 6,000 students, but a mm -hmm. tremendous poverty rate. So what we did post-COVID is employ a drive-through method with the schools. It gives us the ability to move families a little bit quicker through the distributions. And as a result, we're able to get through about 300 families in an hour and a half, opposed to 125 by mm -hmm. opening it up and, you know, allowing families to come up and engage and things like that. So families come, they drive through mm -hmm. uh, either at a Brentwood school or a Riverhead school site. And we provide them uh, with meals for, for how long? For, for a couple of days, for a week? In minimum three days, but usually it lasts about a week. Mm -hmm. and so they'll get a non-perishable food bag of nutritionally sound, staple items. We do a lot of culturally friendly foods because of the demographics of the people right. that we're serving. So we, we really survey families a lot to make sure that we're providing the food that they want. Mm -hmm. um, and then we offset those things with fresh produce and frozen proteins. And that's wonderful. So families, when they come up, based on their family size, they could be leaving with a full trunk of groceries. That's great. It's a lot of food. And we get a lot of support from both the Brentwood and the Riverhead School District uh, for having us there and, and working collaboratively with us. And it also, it also involves the uh, administration of the school as well as some of the teachers are involved in this. 
It's been a really beautiful partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, the administration has been great partners for us. And nothing makes me happier when I'm at a distribution and I see the area principal come out and start engaging with the families. Sure. There's there's like so much more that uh, we can discuss about this. But to be honest with you, I got to tell you, that means our time is up. We've what? gone. Th- I'm sorry, Jess. We've gone through the clock, but we are definitely going to uh, have you come back. There's, I hope so. there's no question about that because I want to talk more about the satellite programs. I want to talk about uh, the SOS program. I want to talk about you know education and some of the programs that we're doing there. Uh, so we will definitely have you come back so we can discuss all that together. But in the meantime, thank you, Dr. Jessica Rosati, for being with us. Thank you so much. Pleasure. And certainly uh, for those of you that are enjoying uh, the podcast, once again, I want to remind you that you can listen to us on Spotify, on Anchor uh, Podcast, as well as Apple. And until next time, this is Paul Pactor, CEO of Long Island Cares, along with Dr. Jessica Rosati. We will continue to feed the need. <laughs>